Episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, Daryl Lane, your host as always, whether you're listening via SoundCloud, the LM Radio Network, or the South Carolina Columbia Radio app. Wanna thank you for making us part of your day. The guy you just heard is my man Eric Seminar, who did the song for me, our new intro song. If you want to catch Eric, his Twitter handle is breezy underscore EC. Repeat that again, it's at breezy underscore EC. Great stuff today coming up on the show. We're going to have Keith Smith, contributor for RealGM.com and the Celtics blog. Plus, he's the host of the Front Office Show. We're going to have Keith come on. I'm going to talk a lot of NBA with Keith because he's an NBA guy. We're also, I'm going to tell you, why we shouldn't be so happy about Tiger Woods and his placing at the Masters. My final predictions for the NBA. My finals predictions. Who I have making it out of the East and who I have making it out of the West. The things that concern me about this year's NFL draft. But first, the NBA playoffs are here. I love the NBA playoffs. You know, and I, I always say this. I wrestle in college. I'm a football guy. I played football middle school, high school. Love football. But when it comes down to it, my first love, my first time that I really got into sports was NBA. I can remember it. 2010, Lakers, Celtics, NBA Finals. I became a Kobe Bryant fan. I remember these playoffs vividly. That was the year the Celtics won 50 games. They beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in the conference semis. Then they were up 3-0 against the Orlando Magic in the conference finals. Then Orlando came back, won 2. Then the Celtics closed them out in game 6. Then on the Lakers' side, they beat OKC in 6 games, the original OK3, with Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden. Then they go on the semis, and they beat the Utah Jazz, Darren Williams, Carlos Boozer, sweep them. Then the Lakers face Steve Nash and Mari Stoudemire and the Phoenix Suns, coached by Alvin Gentry, and they beat them in six games. Then it sets up an epic seven-game series between the Lakers and the Celtics, and Kobe Bryant had one of the worst shooting games of his life, but he had 15 rebounds in game seven. Ron Artest had like 25 points, and the Lakers win, and Kobe gets his fifth ring. That's my first NBA playoffs, and I will never forget that to the day I die. I love the opening tip when they're like, and it tips off, and the NBA playoffs are underway. I love it. Love the NBA. So 
it, I was watching, uh, I was on Bleacher Report, and I was watching their Game of Zones for the NBA because the postseason's coming up. And I, I love the Game of Zones. Uh, it's like a spinoff of a Game of Thrones. If anybody ever wants to watch it, go on Bleacher Report, look up on the Game of Zones tab. Really nice short miniseries. It makes fun of lots of NBA players. I love the show. And I was watching it, and uh, well, they had the Warriors, right? And it has Kevin Durant, uh, Dr- Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Steve Kerr, and they're all talking, and they're all like kings, right? And then uh, Nick Young keeps coming up or whatever, and he keeps saying, oh, look who this team got, this team got, and then they're all laughing. And then he finally comes up, and then he's like, oh, a Hall of Famer moved, a Hall of Famer moved, and then Steve Kerr's like, what? And then Steve Kerr's like, who's the Hall of Famer? He's like, Vince Carter, which of the Sacramento Kings? And he's like, no, Nick Young, a move that will actually affect our chances of winning. So then Dick Young goes back up and he's like, wait, wait, I finally have a, I finally have trades that could affect us. He's like, the Minnesota Timberwolves, they're getting Jimmy Butler, the Oklahoma City Thunder, they're getting Paul George and Carmelo Anthony, and the Houston Rockets, they're getting Chris Paul. And then Steve Kerr, Drayvon Green, Clay Thompson, all the look at each other. Steve Kerr's like, Nick, didn't I tell you? Only tell us stuff that actually affects our chances. And then when I watched the Cleveland Cavaliers game of zones, the, uh, it has Isaiah Thomas and he's, because they're all at a throne, right? And it's the Feast of the East. And they're all eating. They're all eating. And then Isaiah Thomas comes up and challenges them. And then it, he's like, oh, I can take it over. I can take over the East. I can take over the East. The Celtics are coming. And then it goes back to flashbacks. And then it goes to 2016 with the Raptors were like, we're the new team in the East. We're the new team in the East. And LeBron's like, okay, here we go again. Then it goes to 2015. And it's the Atlanta Hawks. Like, oh, we got 16, 60 wins. We're 12 men deep. We're the Spurs of the East. We can take the East. Then LeBron rolls his eyes again. And he's like, come on, guys. Didn't we do this before? Then... It goes to 2014, and it's the Paul George. Then it's 2013, and it's Paul George again. Then it goes all the way back to 2013. And then it's KG, Paul Pierce, and Ray. I'm like, we're the original big three. We're going to take you over. And then Paul, then, and then LeBron James just rolling his eyes. Then it goes back, and Isaiah Thomas is like, I realize this. It keeps happening. They keep winning the East. And then Isaiah Thomas is like, it's all a trap. It's all a trap. He's like, everybody, tank, get out the playoffs. This is a trap. There's no way. LeBron wins the East every year. So why are those two little spoofs important besides the fact that they're hilarious? It's going to be the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals. You might not like it. I might not like it. But it's what's going to happen. Let's realize one thing. The... Cleveland Cavaliers have the best player in the world, LeBron James. They have LeBron. So, and the and the Golden State Warriors have the second best player in the NBA, Kevin Durant. And they're going to be on a fourth collision course. It's funny. We all said this last year. Where I was like, LeBron wins the East every year. Golden State's the best team ever. LeBron's the greatest player ever. People are saying, Kev- I've heard people say Steph Curry, Kevin Durant are top 10 players all time. And now we're saying all of a sudden, because Houston came up in Philadelphia or whatever, that, they're, that we're saying they're going to beat these teams? Let's not get crazy, guys. You, don't get crazy. Don't feed into the juice that people tell you. If they say, Rockets and Cavs finals. No. Sixers and uh, 
a Sixers and Rockets final. No. Rockets and Raptors. No. Warriors and Raptors. No. Cavs and Warriors. Say it with me. Cavs and Warriors. The last three years, 2015, 2016, 2017, it's been Cavs and Warriors. Why do we think something's going to change? Like I said, LeBron's still in Cleveland. Kevin Durant, Steph Curry's still in Golden State. The road has gotten tougher. I can't deny that. Philly's becoming a, a mini monster. Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, they're long, they're strong. Markel Fultz is finally rounding into form just a little bit. The Houston Rockets had the best record in the league. James Harden, Chris Paul, Mike D'Antoni, they are playing outstanding basketball. And the Toronto Raptors with DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry, led by Dwayne Casey, have been a huge surprise. But let's not act like these teams don't have flaws. The Houston Rockets. What have Chris Paul and James Harden done in the conference finals? Nothing. Partly because they've never been to a conference finals. No, Chris Paul hasn't. James Harden was. And the last time, actually, let me add, the last time we saw James Harden, he did a choke job and he lost in Game 6 to the Kawhi Leonard-less San Antonio Spurs when they were back at Houston in his house. The, so, James Harden and Chris Paul, let's remember now, one guy in Chris Paul, never been to a conference finals. The other guy in James Harden, the last time we saw him in playoff action, he choked. What have the Philadelphia 76ers done in the playoffs? Let's not even say conference finals. What have they done in the playoffs? Nothing. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons have been talking about the process for the last two or three years. They haven't seen anything regarding the playoffs and what a playoff atmosphere is. They have more experience, actually, in the tanking culture than the winning culture. What have the Toronto Raptors done in the playoffs besides get abused by the LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers? The last two or three years, what has happened? What has Toronto done besides get abused? Abused. So answer this for me. Who on Toronto or Philadelphia can guard LeBron James? Ben Simmons. I like Ben Simmons. He's young, he's talented, he's strong, he's athletic. Ben Simmons is 20 years old, 21 years old. Ben Simmons is a rookie in this league. Ben Simmons is a second-year player, technically. He's not ready to match up one-on-one -on -one with LeBron James in a seven-game series. And, no, and we know no one on the Raptors is dealing with LeBron James. Who on the Rockets can stop Kevin Durant? Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, when they're all clicking and they're all together and they're all playing like the Warriors we saw last year. Who can stop this team? No one. The Cleveland Cavaliers and Golden State Warriors haven't shown the best version of themselves this year. Steph Curry's hurt. Klay Thompson's been hurt. Draymond Green's been hurt. Kevin Durant's been hurt. Steve Kerr was letting his team coach against the Phoenix Suns months ago because the team got bored. Tyron Lue for the Cleveland Cavaliers. He's been out for a while. He was out for a while. The Cleveland Cavaliers went through a major, a major reshuffle. Kevin Love got hurt and was out the lineup. The Cleveland Cavaliers haven't even put out their full lineup yet. And it'll be their first game on Sunday when they play Victor Aladipo and the Indiana Pacers when we see the Cleveland Cavaliers' full lineup. And LeBron, we all know, he's been pacing himself for the postseason. That's why LeBron James hasn't been playing defense. The Warriors and Cavs are championship teams. They don't have to prove anything to us in the regular season. 
What does LeBron James have to prove? He's a three-time NBA champion, four-time NBA MVP, three-time finals MVP, arguably the greatest player ever, and the universally recognized the best player in the NBA now. What does LeBron James have to prove? He already won a title in Cleveland. What does he have to prove? What does Steph Curry have to prove? Two-time MVP, one-time unanimous MVP, two-time NBA champion. Steph Curry doesn't have to prove anything. Greatest shooter of all time. What does Kevin Durant have to prove? He won a title, was the villain that title run, gave it to LeBron James in the finals, and led a team to 15-1 in the postseason, something that's only been matched by the Kobe Shaq Lakers in 2001. That is why we're seeing a little bit of lethargicness from both these teams. These guys, they don't have to prove anything to us. What do they need to prove to us? So you want to know why these other teams have had tried to have, have been playing, you know, they've been playing better than the, the Cavs and the Warriors. You want to know why the Raptors have been playing with this chip on their shoulder, why they have the number one record in the East? The Raptors have something to prove. They've been abused by LeBron James and tormented by LeBron James the last two or three years. Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan don't have any championships. You know what the Philadelphia 76ers have to prove? That they've arrived. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are young guys that are trying to make a name for themselves in this league. They're trying to prove to themselves they can stay healthy. That's what Joel Embiid's trying to prove. They have something to prove. Chris Paul and James Harden for the Houston Rockets need to prove that they can rise up in the playoffs. James Harden needs to prove that what happened against Game 6 San, uh, San Antonio Spurs was an aberration. It was an exception to the rule. Chris Paul has to prove that he can get a team to a conference finals. Mike D'Antoni has to prove he can be a championship coach. So other teams have something to prove. When LeBron and when the Warriors had something to prove, you know what they did? The Warriors destroyed the whole NBA last year, like I said, 15-1. and That's when the Warriors had something to prove. LeBron James last time, LeBron truly had something to prove was... 2012, no, it was 2013, and Boston TD Garden down 3-2 against the Boston Celtics. Elimination game after his choke job against the against the Dallas Mavericks when the frozen when the chosen one turned frozen one, and LeBron came up and destroyed the Boston Celtics, brought it back to Miami for a game seven and won it. Then beats Oklahoma City Thunder in five games, wins his first ever championship, and LeBron said, "It's about damn time." That's when LeBron had something to prove truly really had something to prove. These other teams we're talking about, they might not advance. OKC, in my opinion, and I might be wrong about this, I think OKC can beat Houston. I think Washington's going to be a, a semi-tough series for Toronto. I think that'll be around six games. And then Toronto's going to face Cleveland in the semis, which isn't ideal for Toronto because I think Cleveland matches up great with Toronto. They're thinking they have a psychological edge against them. And Miami for Philly? Miami ain't a cakewalk. Eric Spolch is really good at taking away your weaknesses. I guarantee you we won't see LeBron, we won't see Ben Simmons get into the rim and getting all those floaters and dunks that he does. He'll, they'll force Ben Simmons to play outside. And we talk about, and these teams have this type of vulnerability, and we talking about the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers. They both won 50 games this year. They have combined seven MVPs, six Hall of Famers, six top 30 players in the league. Let's remember, and I want to stress this again, let's remember, 
coming into this year, we have said we have said these things about LeBron James and the Golden State Warriors. We have said the Golden State Warriors are the best team ever. Better better than the 96 Bulls. Better than the Celtics with Larry Bird, Robert Parrish, Kevin McHale. That they're better than Magic Johnson, Showtime Lakers with Kareem and James Worthy. We've said they're up there with those teams. That's what we said about the Golden State Warriors. We've said LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So yes, I will pick the Golden State Warriors, Cleveland Cavaliers, NBA Finals. You can book it. Now, coming up next on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have a guy on the show that knows the NBA pretty well, I might say. Keith Smith, contributor for RealGM.com and the Celtics blog. Plus, he's the host of the Front Office Show. Keith Smith, coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have Keith Smith with us today, contributor for RealGM.com and the Celtics blog. Plus, he's the host of the Front Office Show. How are you doing, Keith? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, no problem. Now, the first thing I want to ask you is, there's been a lot made of the NBA, especially I feel like this year more than others, when it comes to taking, tanking. What, what do you think the solution is? What do you think Adam Silver can do to help fix that problem? Yeah, you know, from right off the jump, I don't think it's as bad as people make it out to be. It's not like it is, uh, you know, 90% of the league is trying to bottom out and, and all these things. And even in this uh, kind of world the last few years where it's been, you know, why bother because it's going to be Cleveland and Golden State in each conference and, and that. And then, yet, you know, teams loaded up and they went for it this year. And we might end up seeing that pay off because those two teams aren't as good as they have been. What we end up seeing with the tanking is where people get all up in arms mostly, it started out with what Philadelphia did for a number of years. But they were the only ones who have done that. So you can't make it out to be bigger than what it is. And then it's down the stretch at the end of the season. And for that, it's those teams, I don't blame them because they're there. The NBA is trying by flattening the lottery odds for the top three. I don't know that's going to fix it. Because I think what then you're going to have is rather than team bottoming out to get to one, they'll just you know try to bottom out to get to three. But you know it, it's a start towards the right direction. But I don't personally think it's as big of a problem as a lot of other people seem to make it out to be. Now, the the face of taking has sort of been Sam Hinkie and the when he was with the Philadelphia 76ers, and you know he made the team awful for years so they can acquire guys like Ben Simmons and uh, Joel Embiid. Do you think that does definitely doesn't have a place for the NBA when you're taking to that level, that consistently? Yeah, you know, when, when it was one team doing it, again, it wasn't the end of the world because it's it, it's one team, and, you know, that's where it is. And, that, and that's another thing to be kind of conscious of in the overall tanking debate. We didn't have a single team win under, I believe, it was 21 games this season, which is, you know, normally most years we've got teams who are, you know, the low-end teams of winning, you know, 16, 17, 18 games. And so it was actually a little bit better than it has been. But you mentioned Philadelphia, it would become a huge problem if you had multiple teams going that route starting from day one of the season, not really interested in winning games. But I don't think we're going to have another team do that because I'm not sure you're going to have an ownership group that is willing to have the courage to green light the process, if you will, to get to that point again. And with the G League, the G, the G League is another one I've been thinking about because, you know, the G League, it's 
it's been it's steadily been developing over and over the years, and it's sort of become you know like a legitimate minor league system. Do you think the G League and just how would you describe the G League's development over the years and how it could be a viable option? Because we've seen uh, a couple college uh, high school players forego going to college to go play in the G League. Yeah, I actually wrote a very long piece on the evolution of the G League for Real GM. It uh, came out uh, about a month or so ago, and it was just a look at like where, where minor league basketball has really come from. And the NBA got into the idea of well, they wanted their own minor league where they had more control over it than these uh, independent minor leagues that they were affiliated with previously. So now we're all the way up to we, we had uh, 26 G League franchises that were singly affiliated this year. So 26 NBA teams have their own minor league team. 27th is coming on board next year as the Wizards bring theirs. The, the, then that leaves just the Pelicans, Trailblazers, and Nuggets is the only teams without their own G League team. They're, they're working towards it, and you know we'll get there eventually. So it's going to become increasingly important because the NBA really wants to have a place where they can develop guys themselves. And you mentioned a couple guys have already said they're going to forego going to college to go into the G League, and their idea is I'm going to go there and make at least a little bit of money because you don't make a ton of money on a G League salary, but they'll make at least a little bit of money, get some pro coaching and development, and then they'll be ready to you know get into the NBA draft and start their NBA career. So that's something to watch as we go forward. That won't last too, too long because you're not going to have a lot of the top guys. The facilities are still better at the top colleges if you're a number one recruit these guys who are doing it they're kind of towards the lower end of the top 20 uh or so they're not they're not uh your top one through five guys because those guys are they're, they're still going to go to college and just you know the cynic in me says they're probably going to make even more money on campus than <laughs> that's probably true <laughs> so right now the the calves and the Warriors are sort of, you know, semi-limped into the playoffs. The Warriors probably more than the Cavs a little bit recently with uh, Steph Curry getting hurt. Do you think right now both these teams are still constructed and still have the ability to both get to the finals and meet for a fourth straight year? Yeah, they both do. It's like the Warriors, they, they don't need Steph Curry to win in the first round. It's, you know, the Spurs, as great as they've been as a franchise, they're without Kawhi Leonard, they're without their franchise guy. And, they, you know, they can still be competitive, but I don't think they can beat the Warriors. Then it looks like Steph's probably going to get back in the second round, which gives him, you know, a round to kind of play himself into shape. And, and the Warriors are still the best team. They, they approach the regular season with an air and just get to the playoffs. You can tell they're bored. They don't want to really, you know, play in those games. It's tough when it's, you know, a second night of a back-to-back and you're in, you know, Detroit or Orlando to get up for that when you've been playing in the finals for three years previous to this. On the flip side, in the East, the Cleveland Cavaliers, it's somewhat similar, but their problem really is their defense is just absolutely horrendous. It's, it's probably uh, the worst of all the playoff teams as you look at it. But, again, they've got LeBron James. We know he knows how to turn it on when it matters most in the postseason. And they actually drew a fairly favorable draw coming into the playoffs. And they, you know that they have no fear of going to Toronto and going through the Raptors because they've already done it a couple years in a row. Why do you think that the Cleveland Cavaliers' defense has been so bad? Because the argument that's been made by some people is that, you know, they're younger. They have guys like Clarkson. They have guys like Larry Nance Jr. They have guys like Rodney Hood that are younger that can move quicker. But their defense is still bad. Why, why do you think that is? Yeah, they, they don't have the bigs 
to execute like a modern NBA defense. If, like, when kind of your your anchor to your defense is Kevin Love, you're just you're never going to be a good defensive team. He can do a lot of things well on the defensive end, but what he can't do is he's never going to really protect the rim. He's all right in short areas doing things, but they've asked him you know, all season long to get out on the guards around the arc and then get back and get back to the rim. And that's just not the kind of guy he is. With that, you put in a Tristan Thompson who's much better, then your offense drops off considerably. So they just don't have the defensive pieces to make things happen. And, and, and even those younger guys that you mentioned that they added, those guys are, are certainly younger, but they're not known for their defense. Every single player that they picked up has really been more known for their offensive game in their career than being a defensive defense now, which team do you think is constructed best in both the East and the West to possibly knock off the Warriors or the Cavaliers? Yeah, in the West, it's certainly the Houston Rockets, and that's it's even before the Warriors are you know kind of in this little bit of a weakened state. The, the Rockets have the best offense in the league. It's not even really close. They are just ruthlessly efficient. They're going to get what they want almost every trip down, and you can do all these things to try and take it away, and then they're just going to go to whatever the next thing is on their list. So whether that be James Harden and ISO, or pick and roll, or then they're getting in the Capella, or they're breaking guys down and finding the shooters. They're just you know, really set up well. One of the things that I have been saying um, for several months now is there's a path for the Rockets to beat the Warriors, and that path is win a couple games because you hit 15, 18 three-pointers, and then win a game where James Harden kind of wins it by himself with 50 or 60 points, and then now all of a sudden you're in a game seven, and anything can happen there. In the East, there's any number of teams that can knock off Cleveland if they can't get their defense right. I'm not going to pick it because I think LeBron is just that good. It's a, I'll believe it when I see it with LeBron James. But they're, because of how bad the Cavaliers' defense is, any number of teams could you know go in and take care of Cleveland and knock them out of the playoffs. Now, a team to begin the season, especially in the West, everybody was talking about that could possibly be contender with the Golden State along with Houston was Oklahoma City. And they sort of had... Uneven results throughout the season is really inconsistent with Melo, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook. How do you think that team is heading into the playoffs? Yeah, you know, they're, they're inconsistent is a good, a good way to put it. They've been very up and down. They've been able to beat the best teams uh, when they're at their best, and then they've got some really ugly losses when they're at their worst. Their, their challenge is uh, it, it, the offense is just still it's very ragged at times, and that's a lot on the shoulders of Russell Westbrook. When he gets the ball and there's just periods in the game where you can tell he's going to take the shot no matter what. He'll dribble around for 20 seconds of the shot clock and then launch a you know 25-footer with a hand in his face and just kind of with almost no conscience of just like, hey, I'm getting a shot up and that's going to be how it is. If he trusted in his teammates a little bit more and, and uh, really functioned as a playmaker more, you could see the, the rocket, or excuse me, the Thunder be in a much better position. The challenge for them is he's just not that guy and he's never really been that guy. On the, on the flip side, their defense is very, very good, and that's even with Carmelo Anthony, who is, who is at this point in his career a very poor defender. But they, as a team, are just absolutely phenomenal defense that you know really gets after. A lot of that is Stephen Adams, Paul George, and you know they're, they're missing Andre Robertson, which is tough. But when you've got a guy uh, like uh, Corey Brewer to step in, he's a he's a 
pretty big couple steps down from Robertson, but he's still known as a guy who gets after it on the defensive end. So they're going to make it tough on anybody that they play in the playoffs to score, and it's just going to be a lot of ugly basketball, you know, a couple, a couple of those 90-85 uh, rock fight type games. But the Thunder are comfortable playing that way. Why don't you think Russell Westbrook's able to trust his teammates? You know, it's. I just think it's he is one of those guys. He reminds me a lot of Allen Iverson in a way of I'm going to put the world on my shoulders and I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to I'm going to get us there. And more often than not, he he has, but only to a point. He can't get them all the way there, as we've seen over you know the last last season and then even the one season where Kevin Durant was out and they missed the playoffs he, he can't get them all the way over that hump to being a truly great team and that's where I think you know maybe it comes for him down the line where he figures out all right, maybe a little less is more and gets there but he's just he he just is you know he wants to be be the guy and I don't think it comes out of a selfish place I think it just comes out of that's how he's wired and that's how he is gonna play the game so so given that do you think having stars like Paul George to a lesser extent, Carmelo Anthony is the best way to construct a roster around Russell Westbrook. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't I don't know that having three guys like that that are used to having the ball a lot is the way to go about it. You, we've seen that obviously this year, especially with Carmelo. He is not in a spot where he is comfortable at all being the clear third and sometimes even fourth option on the floor. It's just, I think that's it contributed a lot to his struggles and inconsistency this year. I think Melo's a guy, he needs his touches. He needs to see the ball, you know, at least every other trip and do be able to do something with it. And when it's a lot of times it's, hey, go spot up or run the floor to get your baskets. That's just not who he is, especially not at this point in his career. I think if you have Russ with one other guy, I think in a lot of ways they might have been better served had they not done the Melo trade and just done the Paul George trade. They might have been a better team in the long run had they just stuck with what they had at that point in the season because I just think Melo is throwing it off. Plus, he's also, he's the one guy that you're going to see get attacked on the defensive end. If they have to go up against Houston or Golden State, they're going to seek him out. They're going to make them pay by going against him repeatedly over and over. Do you think there's merit in the fact, because you mentioned how Westbrook, you know, he wants to be the guy, you know, he, he plays so hard. He's, he plays harder than almost any athlete I've ever seen in any sport. But do you, do you think there's merit to, merit to the fact that people, lots of people have been saying that his triple-doubles aren't as impressive because, you know, he's trying to, his teammates are helping him get rebounds. He's goosing rebounds. He's just going after rebounds. Do you think that limits the allure of his triple-double? You know, last year I didn't feel like that at all. I felt like those were a little more pure if you will. What what happened in the last uh, week of the season here where it was you know, he knew we needed whatever, 34 rebounds or whatever it was over the final two games. It was clear he knew and his team and him did everything they could. And to some extent, who cares, right? That's fine. You know, if they're okay with it, it didn't really hurt them in those games. That's okay. I don't think he ever does it in a way where he hurts the team. Uh, There's a couple times where I think, you know, maybe a couple of his assists on occasion, it sounds weird to say that an assist can be selfish, but there's times when he's had you know a clear lane to the basket and he's kicked it to somebody else or dropped it off to a you know to a cutter when it would have been better served for him to just shoot the ball. But it's it's one of those things again. I think a lot of people get up in arms and they want to people look for things to be angry about. And for me, it's just you know why don't we just enjoy it? You know while it's happening, we've never seen this before. You know just enjoy it for what it is and go because it's. Yeah, maybe he's, 
he's padding the stats a little bit. But is it that big of a deal to get all worked up about? We're going to take a quick break, then we're going to come right back with Keith Smith coming up on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk stuff. Keith Smith was a contributor for RealGM.com, the Celtics blog, and the host of the front office show. So I want to ask you, with a a lot of times, I feel like this has also been talked about a lot with the NBA lately, you know, analytics are becoming a really big part of the game, especially in the front office. How many front offices do you think use analytics, and do you think that's good for the game? Yeah, it's all 30 use analytics to it's to varying degrees but all of them do there's no more groups that are you know anti-stats or anti-analytics uh where you find that more is still in some of the more old school coaching staffs some of those staffs that you know they, they came up in a way where it was you know it's a lot more about what's on the court and don't tell me what the numbers are but even those guys you find them they know a lot more about it than, than maybe they they give you know credence to or that they want to admit to to using and it's really if you're going to succeed you can't ignore it you have to you know do a blend now that said i don't think you can just you know pull up a spreadsheet look at a bunch of numbers and never see a guy play in person and determine what type of basketball players it's just not it's not how it works you have to see these guys in person you have to witness what they do on the floor because there's a lot of things sometimes a good example was there's a late season celtics game where Jalen brown is you know phenomenal young talent and really has a lot of things together but he has this tendency to play out of control and really get himself into stupid foul trouble because he commits just dumb fouls throughout the game well one of the things that happened was he caught the ball on a you know semi-transition and in the past he would have tried to either use his speed to get by a guy or just try to dribble right through a guy and hope a call wasn't coming or that the call would be called on the defender they did a spin dribble, got around the first guy, then two other defenders came at him, and he did something he's never done before in his young career. He slowed it up, held the ball for a second on the dribble, and let things develop, and then moved it up the floor at a more, yeah, kind of controlled pace. That's something no numbers are ever going to tell you, because it's not there, there's no stat for that, there's nothing like that. That's the only thing you're going to see where you look at it and say, you know what, this is a play where if you're watching the game, this is how it is. But what you do is you watch it, you see that, then you compare that with the numbers and put some of the numbers against it, and then that those are the kind of things that start to tell you how good of a basketball player a guy is. So it's a it's a best of both worlds when you marry it together, and every team is doing that to to you know varying degrees and various levels of success. Now, with with the Celtics, they're playing the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round. What type? What chances do you give them to beat the Milwaukee Bucks in a playoff series without Kyrie Irving? Yeah, I think they have a pretty good chance to beat the Bucks, and that uh, probably says more about the Bucks than it does about the Celtics at this point. I think Milwaukee is a lot of Giannis Antetokounmpo and sometimes not very much else, and that's not because I don't like their other players, because I do. I think Chris Middleton, he's one of my favorite guys in the league. He is an extremely underrated player. I don't think a lot of people know just how good this kid is. Then you've got Eric Bledsoe, you know, another good, solid player can do a lot of things they have a lot of nice pieces but they have one of the most unimaginative offenses in the entire nba there's a lot of especially in late games give it to Giannis, and then everybody else just stands around and waits 
there. They don't run a lot of sets. They don't do a lot of things. They don't even run stuff to get Giannis in position to get the ball in a good scoring spot. So because of that, and the fact that their defense, although they've, they've, they've jumped to the Jason Kidd trap everything and run around like a high school team running the full court press, that's out. But they still aren't a very good defense. And Boston is going to be able to get a lot of what they want in in the game. And they've had you know really good success over the last month or so without Kyrie Irving and without Marcus Smart. And, and they've been able to put guys in position. But the big thing I'll say for the Celtics is they're kind of playing with house money a little bit because they have no expectations the rest of this year except to be competitive. As long as they're competitive and play hard, that's all that really matters the rest of this season. If they win a round, great. If they win two rounds, even better. But if they ball in the first round, most people are going to say, hey, this is this wasn't our year anyway. Next year's our year when Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving are back. Now, we know it's not going to be the same with Kyrie Irving not being with the Celtics, which makes them obviously more vulnerable to the Bucks. But just to go back to the Warriors, when Steph Curry is not on the court, how do you think that affects a team like the Golden State Warriors? Yeah, it really impacts their offense because everything they do, even though they have other amazingly talented players, it's all built around Steph. When you watch, he stresses defenses so much because because he'll catch it about anywhere past half court and he'll let it fly. So when you see that um, coming, you have to pick him up early. That just stretches your defense. It lengthens everything out. It widens the court. And they love to run these sets where they run Curry and Thompson through the same kind of uh, double screen actions where Green and generally it's another big, usually Pachulia at the beginning of the games are setting things up. And it's not even really run for Curry, but it's run to get Thompson open because they know everyone's going to follow Steph. And that's not no knock on Clay Thompson or Kevin Durant or even Draymond Green as offensive players because they're all very, very good. But Steph Curry just changes games with his offense. So when people make the argument that, you know, when Steph, when Steph Curry's out, because when he's in the game, it creates so much space for a guy like Kevin Durant, which is part of the reason what he did he did to the Cavs last year in the NBA Finals, because he has so much space to operate, and you can't necessarily double-team him like you normally could because you have Steph Curry, the greatest shooter ever. So do you think that's really what it stresses, it? the court's less open? Yeah, it's definitely it's less open, and they're less free-flowing. Uh, when Steph's out there, there's a lot of just, just play. Steve Curry even says there's times when he'll go sometimes a whole half a quarter and doesn't really run a play call from the bench. It's a lot of just, you know, get out there and, and see, see what you can do. And he trusts his guys to make the right play. That also comes because generally four, five, it's always four, sometimes five of the guys on the court are pretty good ball handlers for their positions and good passers. When they don't have Steph, they go to a lot more isolation-heavy, a lot more screen-and-roll game and things like that. And that's not really the game that they want to play. So it causes it to be a lot of lot more of get it to Durant and let him do his thing, which he's perfectly capable of, but it just slows everybody else down in the offense as well. And that's why they log down. And then that's where they have to really start to turn it when game with the defense. So what playoff series are you most excited to see? You know, the one, it's, it's kind of funny because I don't, I'm not hearing a lot of people bring this one out, but I'm really excited to see Portland and New Orleans. I really think the Blazers, I, I don't think they can beat the Warriors or Rockets, but I think they could cause either one some trouble just because Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are that good and they're that tough. It's a really fun contrast in 
styles too. Portland does not like to run. They like they like to play it slow and uh, get it to Lillard and McCollum and run their stuff and get a good shot on every trip. Whereas New Orleans, they want to get it and go. They want to get down the court and you know sometimes it's not the best shot, it's the first shot, and that's what they want to do. And then you've also got Anthony Davis, who you know has just he, because he's been healthy almost all season long, has really blossomed into. You know, a whole nother level of superstar. I could easily see him, you know, finishing the series averaging something like 40 and close to 20 rebounds just because he's that good. And then, you know, it's just there's a lot of other smaller but fun matchups. Like, like who does Davis cover? Do you put him on Evan Turner? Do you and then let him roam a little? Does Turner get covered by each one more? Can he make stuff happen there? Who covers Davis for the for the Blazers when it's not Al Farouk Aminu? How are they going to go about guarding him? So there's a lot of a lot of matchup facing. That's going to be a really fun series. Now when it's the playoffs, you know, it's a different game from the regular season. You know, there's no more back-to-backs. You can really game plan and hone in for an opponent. But what do you think is the biggest indicator of playoff success? It's the teams that can get the offense they want when they need to get it. And that sounds, you know, kind of really simplistic, and it is. You, that's why you don't – teams don't win when they don't have – guys who can create their own offense it's the team this is where the celtics have struggled a little bit at times isaiah thomas for as brilliant as he was for boston he can be taken away fairly easily teams can 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 we're able to game plan him and get him out of it and then after that the celtics didn't have another creator who could go and make things happen offensively that could be their problem in this year's playoffs Dude, they just might not have somebody who can can make plays and be starting to get them scoring opportunities. So you need a superstar that you can throw the ball to and say, make something happen. That If you get that, that guy, you're at least going to be in most games, if not successful in the playoffs. Now, now it's really interesting you mentioned that because I always thought of those guys, like, and I sort of always call it like players with like an extra gear. Like <laughs> when LeBron James was in, in Miami and they were down three, three, yeah, no, three, a three, two elimination game in Boston. LeBron comes up and puts... 39, 15, or whatever it was, and just dominates the game. He can just have the ability to race his level where he's just better than everybody. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Yeah, in that LeBron game, yeah, I did that whole thing without even cracking a smile or even uh, even uh, breaking a sweat. It felt like he just was you know, on a whole other level of dominance. But what you end up seeing is is it's, it's those guys who have the look, is what I always call it. Get me the ball and let me make a play. Let me go win this game for you. And there's a lot of guys who can do that, you know, around the NBA right now, which is why the NBA is in such a great place. We've got more guys spread across the league that want that pressure of saying, hey, I'm going to be the man here. Let me make plays than I think we've ever had in, in, in the league in the history of the NBA. So now I want to ask you, who, who do you have for MVP? Who's your vote for MVP this year? James Harden, and I, for me, it's not even close. Um, LeBron is—he's been phenomenal, and the team's been good. But he—he he can't be that bad defensively and that uncaring to, to win the MVP. It's just not possible. It doesn't work that way. So for me, it's James Harden. He's been the best player from day one of the season. He has been just excellent. He has been better on the defensive end than expected, while continuing to be. Uh, one of, if not the best offensive players in the entire NBA, and he's, and he's on the best team. So for me, it's a fairly easily easy pick that it should be James Harden this year. Now, with you saying James Harden, 
easily for you would be the, is the MVP. It, it makes me think, like, James Harden, like you said, easily going to be the MVP. Russell Westbrook wins it last year. And then you have Kevin Durant, who's an MVP. It is arguably, some people say he's a top 10 basketball player, probably second best player in the league to LeBron James. How crazy is it just to think that all three of those guys were on the same team at one point in time? Yeah, it really is unbelievable. We were talking about that in a, a little chat group I had the other day, that it was just if that team could have stayed together, what, what they would have done. And, it, and it's, it's kind of funny to think about, right? We, we started the show talking about Russ with two other guys. Well, what would Russ have become with just Russ, right? Would it, would it have been, you know, or, or, or rather with Harden and Durant, would he have become the guy he is now? Would Harden have blossomed into what he is? Would Durant have become it? But the fact that yeah, we had those guys together on one roster, it looked like when they went to that finals against Miami, and a lot of people forget, they won game one of that series. And it looked like, whoa, maybe the future isn't coming. The future might be here right now. And unfortunately, that was it. It was, it was one and done for that group together. Yeah, and it's interesting because I remember that playoffs – the Spurs were killing everybody. I think they went four, they swept both, both their teams in the first round, the second round. Then they're up 2 0 against Oklahoma City. Then Oklahoma City wins four straight games, and everybody's like, whoa, this yeah. team is super good. So, with that, I don't want to say who is the blame, but where do you think it's culpable? Because Sam Presti has to be looking back on this one day and just be like, I let this one get away. But. Yeah, and I don't know that, it, that you can put it on him. A lot of it is it was ownership. They didn't want to pay the luxury tax. James Harden made it clear he wanted a max contract. People forget now, James Harden was their sixth man. He had not started games uh, prior to that. He was you know, really just coming off the bench almost his entire career. He occasionally would spot start for somebody if guys were out, but he was really their sixth man for his you know first few years in the league with the Thunder. And, but he made it clear, as, hey, I won't pay. Like I, you know, and I want to be paid like I'm a superstar. They already had Russ and KD at that level, and it was it was the pressure around the league was, can anybody do this? Can you put three guy, three max guys on the same team? And OKC, they didn't even attempt to answer because ownership said we're not paying that tax bill. You know, when it comes to because a lot of things I have forgotten too is Serge Ibaka was a big part of that team. And he was going to need a new contract, so they were really put in a position where someone's got to go. And at the time, they said, all right, it's James Harden because the other two guys, we already got them under contract, and then we can make it work with Serge. So we were just thinking, you know, how talented OKC was at one point in time. Which NBA roster now do you think it could potentially be, not an OKC because I don't think anybody has that type of talent, but be that, you know, young roster that in a couple years we're going to be like, wow, they're in the NBA Finals. Yeah, it's between Philly and Boston. Those are the two teams, and it's going to be fun to watch them battle it out in the East. And, you know, in the proximity, the history between the two cities. You know, Boston's already already got the, the stars now. You know, Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, you know, assuming they both return to full health, which all reports are they should. They've got those two guys. And, yeah, Mal Gorford is really going to be even better when he can transition into the point where he's more of a you know, better glue guy for a team. And then Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown just look like they are, you know, really – just ready to explode and be stars in this league sooner rather than later. And then they've still got another high draft pick coming, uh, you know, courtesy of the Lakers if they get really lucky this year or the Kings next season. After that, now, now what you're going to see is you're going to end up with the uh, the Sixers with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Those two guys are just 
was phenomenal. They are two of the best players, you know, uh, already in the NBA, and they're on the same team. And Markel Fultz looks like he's coming out. So they've got their third young guy. So it's going to be between those two teams. Boston's probably a little further ahead because of the kids that they, they – or, excuse me, because of the veterans that they have around their kids. But Philly's really not far behind if they're behind at all. Now – and you mentioned Markel Fultz, Ben Simmons, uh, Jason Tatum. All these guys are rookies, even though Ben Simmons technically not a rookie, but he is a rookie. But that's a whole other story for another day. But h- how talented would you say this rookie class is? It's right up there. It's one of the best that I can remember. Um, you know, I've been watching the game for a long time. When I was a real little guy, it wasn't on my mind. But that 1984 draft class that you know, brought Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, John Stockton, all those guys into the league, Hakeem Olajuwon, that, that one's probably still best, you know, out there. But this rookie class, is it's way, way up there in terms of talent, especially especially now that it looks like Marco Fultz has things figured out because it was starting to look like right at the top of the draft we were going to lose, you know, a guy who we all had really high hopes for. But now he's turned around and started to figure it out. We're looking at this class is going to go down right near the top, you know, and with this being such a talented draft class, who do you think is going to win Rookie of the Year? It's going to be Ben Simmons. I'm almost you know, certain of it. I don't think team uh, voters are going to penalize him you know, for the not-a-rookie thing. I think people are going to look at it and say, you can argue that point all you want, but to do that with your vote, that's not how you litigate it. You need to have that argument separately from it. The NBA says he's a rookie. They classify a rookie as someone who has not played in an NBA game. There was, you know, a long time ago, Arvidas Sabonis uh, had, you know, he was a, you know, almost a 20-year veteran by the time he got to the NBA, and he, you know, finished second in the rookie rookie of the year voting. It's, it's if they haven't played in an NBA game, they're they're a rookie as far as the NBA is concerned, and hopefully people, you know, take that to heart and they voted that way. Now, now, this is the argument I would make for a guy like Mitchell, right? Who's, who's had he's averaged twenty points a game, has had a great season for Utah. I don't think he's a better player than Ben Simmons. I think Ben Simmons is a lot, a lot better. But I think what he's done has meant more to his team per se than Ben Simmons. Could you make that argument that maybe he's not the better player, but he's the more valuable player and the more impactful player for his team? You know, I'm, I'm not sure I would go there. I think Simmons has been pretty. You know, he's been there. Uh, for the Sixers, I don't know that they are in the position that they're in if he doesn't do the things he's done this year, especially with the fact that Joel Embiid, although he's been mostly healthy, he has missed some time this season. I think, you know, we are at a point where, you know, he, he's he's great, right? And, and anybody who says otherwise is just crazy and that they're wrong. But it really is a spot where, um, you know, Simmons has really carried that team for long stretches, especially down the stretch of this year through this 16-game win streak. And that's not a not a slight on Donovan Mitchell at all. And I think in some ways it might be better for Donovan Mitchell not to win than put that chip on his shoulder and say, you know what, I'm going to prove to you, you know, not only for the next season but for the rest of my career that I'm the guy here. And I think that's the kind of guy he is. And I think, you know, we all win as basketball fans for that. Keith, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. No problem. That's Keith Smith from RealGM.com, Celtics blog, and he's the host of the front office show. Now tell us, real quick, where, where can we find your show? Uh, you can find the show on iTunes. It's every, everywhere you know, that you find normal things. Just look up NBA front office show, and you'll find you know, you'll find the show there. We spend a lot of time uh, breaking down the 
breaking down transactions, things that are going on around uh, the league as far as that goes, rosters, uh, trades, signings, you know, movement, to two-way contracts, 10-day contracts, G-League clubs, all that kind of stuff. We spent a lot of time on that um, there. We did just do playoff previews because it's the playoffs and you have to do playoff previews. That was our most recent show, and then we're going to be moving right into 2018 free agency, and then we'll bring in a lot of team experts from around the NBA to talk about their teams as we do off-season previews and really our, our whole thing is we go super deep on all these teams we, we you know get all the way into the guys at the end of rosters who uh, a lot of people they they look more like they're an nba 2k creative player than maybe a real nba player but we get all the way into those guys and talk them too thanks keith absolutely thank you coming up next on barbershop sports talk i'm going to tell you my concerns with this nfl draft coming up next on barbershop sports talk back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and once again, I want to thank Keith Smith for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. I know he's a busy guy, has a lot of stuff to do. Appreciate that he took the time out of his day to come on the show. But now, I, I got to talk about this Tiger Woods thing with the Masters. So after the Masters, everybody was like, oh my gosh, Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods, moral victories, he did so good. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And this is something about my biggest thing what's happening so much in sports. We celebrate people that haven't accomplished anything. Tiger Woods got 32nd at the Masters, and people are throwing him a parade and giving him cookies. I mean, like, oh, God, you came back. Even though he was only the greatest golfer and had the most dominant run maybe in sports history we've ever seen. Yet, everybody's keeping breeze back on this dude. Okay, we want Tiger to do well. We're rooting for him. He did okay. Okay, honey. Okay, honey. You did a good job. No. See, man. See, see, listen. This is how I grew up. When I remember when we lose a football game, my dad would be like, man... You guys are some scrubs. That's what my dad would say to me. That's what my dad said after we lost the football game. He was just because we were just bad. It would be like you're close, you win. Every time I lost the wrestling match, my I felt like my dad always had something to say. So no, when you win, you did something. When you lose, you did something wrong. That's why you didn't win. You know, and I always say this, and this is a, a quote I truly believe. You know, second place means you're the best loser. Tucker Woods was the 32nd best loser. Now, Tiger Woods, back in the day, kept winning tournament after tournament after tournament. So, let's not throw the guy a cookie because he got 32nd. All the elite guys like Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler, Rory McIlroy, Patrick Reed, who won the tournament, and Bubba Watson all finished ahead of him. So, how about Tiger wins a master, wins a major, before we start crowning him and being like, oh, Tiger's back. How about he wins a major first? Not the Pebblestone Invitational. Not, not this little golf corner tournament to get his confidence back. I'm talking about a major, and there is pressure last round Sunday when we know Tiger Woods needs to deliver. That's what we need to see. Coming up soon at the top of the hour, we're going to be entering our LNM only radio network segment of the show, the last hour. We're going to have Ben Goodman, who returns, and we're going to have Scotty Johnson, as always, come on. Going to talk some NFL and basketball with both those guys, respectively. But first, I got to get this shit off my chest about the draft. So, reportedly, John Elway and the Denver Broncos are now looking to trade down from the number fifth spot. And this is just capitalized something because I've heard reports the Browns are looking to trade down, the Giants are looking to trade down, and now the Broncos are looking to trade down. 
and this just has me thinking now. This quarterback class, because the name of the game is quarterback play in the NFL. This quarterback class is flawed. There's no clear number one. Everyone has a different opinion on these guys. There's no one who has risen to the top, to the top of the heap like there always is. A guy that we just push forward and the guy we go for. There just isn't. The best thing about this quarterback class is it's deep. We talk about how deep. We talk about there's five, six guys in this quarterback class. But you know what? Being deep is sort of like an insult more than a compliment. Being deep means you're not elite. Being deep means you're just okay. Being deep means you're a, a two, not a one. Being deep means you're a bunch of C guys, not a bunch of A guys. That's what deep means in all reality. Each of the quarterbacks in this draft has a flaw. Sam Darnold turns the ball over way too much. Fumbles, interceptions. Josh Rosen, he's a jerk, to quit it, put it quite frankly. And if you really want to delve into that, read the ESPN interview we had where he just made himself look not too very good and made himself look a little elitist. Let me put it to you that way. Josh Allen has not played against anyone, played in a non-Power 5 conference. Lamar Jackson, to put it quite frankly, and I love my mama, but I'm going to have to say this. Lamar Jackson is a mama's boy, letting his mom make all of his financial decisions and be his agent. And Baker Mayfield is immature. And then all these quarterbacks, except for Sam Darnold, have a second big flaw. Josh Rosen, he's injury prone too. Not only is he a jerk, he's injury prone. Baker Mayfield, he's too small. He's six foot. When we saw him play against Georgia, he looked not like an NFL player. When he saw long athletic guys, SEC defenders that will play in the league. Lamar Jackson, not the most accurate guy. Josh Allen. Not accurate at all. He completed 37% against Hawaii. I go to Division Three school. Our Division Three team might be able to beat Hawaii. This is the best. This is the best thing about Sam Darnold, who only has one flaw. He turns the ball over. He only has one flaw. <laughs> but it's a big flaw. He turns the ball over. Turning the ball over. Score. Turning the ball over once is like negative two points. That's how bad turning the ball over. It flips field position. It's not good for the game. It feeds into the other team. It takes away momentum. That scares me to death. In all reality now, two of the five quarterbacks I named, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, two of them will be busts. Two will say they're okay, and one will be a true franchise quarterback. It is not only that there's no sure bet at number one, there's no guy you can take number one at other positions. I know, because listen, the best non-quarterbacks that everybody's been saying, all the football experts have been saying, the best non-quarterbacks, Saquon Barkley, running back out of Penn State, Minka Fitzpatrick, safety out of Alabama, Quentin Nelson, guard out of Notre Dame. Let's look at this. Running backs are a dime a dozen. You can find a good running back anywhere. The people have said this is the deepest running back draft, one of the deepest running back drafts in years. Arian Foster, who's a thousand-yard rusher for years, he he was uh, undrafted. There's lots of guys that are undrafted. At guard, nobody wants a guard. Nobody was going to draft a guard number one. And Minka Fitzpatrick at safety, people devalue safety. They tell you when you're a corner and you're no good, you go play safety. When it's not a heavy quarterback class, this is what teams go for. And we've seen this in the past. They go for defensive end, i.e. the year Jadavion Clowney went number one from South Carolina, or they go offensive tackle. The year Eric Fisher came out and was drafted number one by the Chiefs. That's what we go for. 
We go for offensive tackle or defensive end. Can you rush the quarterback or can you protect the quarterback? Because it's the quarterback league. So now I am scared about this NFL draft. I am scared to death. I would hate to be at the top of this draft. And right now, I'm thinking, because I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, I want the Bills to go ahead and draft the quarterback. But I'm like, Sean McDermott, stand pack. Stand, stand pack, Sean McDermott. Because right now, I don't know. Mason Rudolph, uh, the sixth quarterback everybody's talking about, he might, from Oklahoma, from Oklahoma State, he might be the best quarterback in the draft. He might be the best quarterback in the draft. Now, coming up next on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to be entering the LNM Radio Network portion of the show. I'm going to have Scotty Johnson talk a lot about the NBA. I'm going to get his opinion about the playoffs, how he thinks certain things are going to materialize. We'd have Ben Goodman on the show. Coming up next, and we're going to talk a lot about the NFL. I'm going to ask Ben Goodman what he thinks about a lot of stories that have been percolating through the news.